uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 1 to 9, and it's the account of the call of Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. When I read the Bible, I love imagining myself as a fly on the wall, right there, observing the story unfold. So as I read and meditated on this text over the past few weeks, I found myself delighting afresh in the personal way in which God spoke to Abraham. And I delighted in the incredible promise that he made to him. And it was so wonderful to just reflect again on Abraham's response, which was so full of faith. So I've got three points to share with you today. And my first point is that God is a personal God. The passage starts with these words. And God had said to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham. The Bible doesn't tell us how he spoke. We don't know if he appeared to Abraham or if he spoke to him in a dream or in a still small voice. We don't know when he spoke to Abraham. We don't know if it was in the morning when he woke up. We don't know maybe if it was in the evening. We don't know if it was when he was maybe having a time of prayer and devotion. Or maybe he was just going about his daily activities, and the Lord spoke. We don't know. But what we do know is that God spoke to him. And later on, when Abraham reached Canaan, the Bible says that God appeared to him and said to him, to your offspring I will give this land. It's remarkable. God appeared to him and spoke to him 
and told him, this is what I'm going to do. We serve a personal God. He speaks to his people. He speaks to his children. We see evidence of this throughout the Bible. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He spoke to them. He really spoke a lot to Moses and to Joshua. As you read through the prophets, you just realize that God spoke to the prophets. And in the New Testament, we see him speaking to the apostles. Friends, it's so important that we have a view of God as a personal, relational God, as a God who wants to speak to us, who wants to walk with us, who wants to be involved in our lives. He's interested in what we do. He loves to guide us and to bless us and to care for us. God loves to share his heart with us. He loves to involve us in his plan, in the things of his kingdom. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking and he says, I'm the good shepherd. A little bit later on, he says, my sheep listen to my voice and follow me. That's what Jesus says. He says, my, my sheep, they know my voice. We know when God speaks. In my life, I've had many times where God has spoken to me. And uh, especially in the major decisions that I've had to make at various times in my life. And God has been very faithful in just guiding me through his word, sometimes with that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And he's just led me through those big major decisions. But God has also spoken to me in the day-to-day -day things of life. Every day there's wisdom or counsel, advice that he just drops into my spirit. I'm so aware that we serve a God who speaks. Often he speaks words of love and encouragement and support. He loves to whisper words to his children and just remind us who we are in him. But also at times he gives very clear guidance and counsel. At times he even speaks words of correction where he guides us and he warns us about some things. Now I've been reading a book by Michael Cassidy titled Bursting the Wineskins. Michael is the founder of African Enterprise. It's a mission organization. And I smiled as I read his testimony because in his book, he talks about how the Lord provided him with his wife, Carol. He had uh, been trusting for a wife for many years and uh, nothing was happening in that area of his life. And uh, eventually he met a girl called Carol and the Lord began to speak very, very clearly that he could marry her. And I just loved it as I read it because it's the way God speaks. He confirms and he nudges us. And the rest of the book has been wonderful because Michael was in a process where he was investigating and exploring the renewal of the Holy Spirit that was taking place in the country. And he was looking at it very objectively and the Lord just spoke to him and spoke to him and spoke to him about what he was doing through his spirits throughout the world. God loves to speak. Our role is to open up our hearts and to open up our spiritual ears and to listen expectantly. Like Samuel, we need to pray this prayer quite often. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, when we do this, when we pray that prayer, when we're attentive to the voice of God, our lives become focused on God. 
when we hear his voice and we discover his will, then his kingdom receives priority and our lives gain a godly order. And when he speaks and he reveals his personal plan for our own lives, then we can become people who walk by faith and not by sight, just like Abraham did. I don't know what you are facing. I don't know how you are feeling about this year that lies ahead. What I do know is that the Lord wants to be part of your life and that he wants to speak to you. So my first point is that God is a very personal God. And my second point is about a promise of blessing. God's call to Abraham included the most tremendous promise of blessing. Let's read it again. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. This is what God said to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham lived a blessed life. His life was not always easy. He faced many challenges. He even made some mistakes. But overall, overall, when you look at Abraham's life, his life was blessed. The Lord provided for him, the Lord protected him, and the Lord fulfilled his promises to him. The Lord did that for Abraham. He did make Abraham's name great. And his descendants did become a great nation. Those who allied themselves with Abraham were blessed. And those who threatened or attacked him, encountered the strong hand of the Lord against them. And all the peoples of the earth are blessed through him. Because it is through his lineage that Jesus our Savior was born. It's through Abraham's lineage. You know, in Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, the Apostle John has an incredible vision. He has a vision of a great multitude of people more than anyone can count. Great multitude. It says a multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, in front of Jesus. These are people who are blessed because of the promise made to Abraham from every nation, from every language, from every tribe. God made a promise to Abraham, and he kept it. And we serve the same faithful God, and he loves to bless his people. His word contains a wealth of promises to us. Promises that we can hold on to and live by, just like Abraham did. Do some of his promises contain conditions? Absolutely. Many of them do. Abraham's promise was dependent on him leaving his country, leaving his people, leaving his father's household, and going to a land that God would show him, an unknown land. If you think about our promise of salvation, the most important promise that we have from the Lord, our promise of salvation, 
That comes with a condition. In John 5, verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So for salvation, we have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to come to a point where we believe that he is who he says he is, that he's the savior of the world, that he died for our sins. And when we do that, we become born again. We receive this promise of eternal life. Our promise of provision requires that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In Matthew 6, verse 33, we read, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that you need will be added to you, will be given to you. And then our promise or the promise that God gives us of a fruitful life requires that we abide in Christ. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we ponder on the call of Abraham, we come face to face with a personal God who speaks. And we come face to face with a good, good father who loves to bless, who loves to make and keep promises to us. And this leads me into my final point, which is a life of faith. Abraham's life epitomized a life of faith. God spoke to him and he obeyed. God said, go, and he said, yes. In Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 9, we read, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents. In Genesis 12, verse 8, we read this. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. Can you picture this in your mind's eye? An open area of land, some mountains, pitching his tents, his livestock, some of the people that are with him, camping out in the wilderness. That's what it says here. He pitched his tents with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. I was given this Bible by my parents for my 20th birthday. And this uh, Bible has journeyed with me and been my companion over the past 25 years as I've listened to so many sermons in so many different places. And in the margin of Genesis chapter 12, I wrote this note. I don't know who preached the message. I don't know who made the statement, but that note is in my Bible. I don't know when I made it. But this is the note that I wrote. It says this, too many people build their tents and pitch their altars. Tents represent the worldly things. Altars represent the eternal things. Yet altars are often given less emphasis. Let me read that again. Too many people build their tents 
and pitch their altars. Tents represent the worldly things. Altars represent the eternal things, yet are often given less emphasis. Friends, like Abraham, we need to pitch our tents and build our altars. This is the right order for a life of faith. For Abraham, the things of this world were temporary. In Hebrews 11, it says that he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward to heaven. He was living with heaven in mind. So although he had wealth, although he had possessions, he didn't live for the things of this world. His tent could be erected and struck down with minimal effort. He was free to move as the Lord led him. He was ready to obey at a moment's notice. How careful we need to be of becoming too attached to our things, too attached to our positions, too attached to our locations. Am I saying that we shouldn't own a home or purchase things? No, not saying that. We can own a home, but our home and our things mustn't own us. They mustn't prevent us from obeying a call of the Lord when He speaks to us. If God speaks, we must be able to move. I lived in Cape Town for six years. While I was there, on a few occasions, I went with an estate agent to look at some property with the thought of buying a small flat or a townhouse. And every time I went, God said to me, why are you here? He gave me absolutely no permission to purchase a home in Cape Town. Now with hindsight, I know that he didn't want me to be rooted there because it was only a temporary assignment in Cape Town. So as we trust God and as he speaks to us and as he leads us, we can follow him. Abraham pitched tents and he built, he, he built altars. Now, altars were built of rough stone and soil. They were often very large, and they would stay in a place for many years and would remind the person who built the altar of the promise that God had given them. So every time Abraham walked through the land, when he saw one of these big altars that he had built, he would remember this promise that God had given him. He would have a family. He would have an offspring. His name would be made great. All the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. He would remember this as he would see these altars. Now, the altar was also a place of worship, a place of sacrifice. And it was a place where you would remember to stay dependent on God, to rely on God, and to live for him. When we, in our own lives, take time to remember the Lord's faithfulness. When we reflect back on our lives and we remember all that God has done for us, we are building an altar of worship in our hearts. My wife Pam has a friend who purchased a chain, a little gold chain with a little gold cross, which she wears every day. She purchased it when she was pregnant and they needed to do quite a complex test uh, during the pregnancy. And she was really trusting God that everything would go fine with the test. And when they received the test result and it was declared that they were going to have a healthy baby, she was so grateful to the Lord that she bought this pendant, this little cross, 
And she wears it daily as a reminder of her faith in the Lord. It's an altar in her life. It's a reminder of what God has done. But our greatest altar of worship today is the bread and the cup. It's communion. That is our greatest altar of worship. This is where we remember what Jesus did for us. This is where we remember the cross and we get to thank him and we get to worship him. So like Abraham, when he saw an altar that he had built, he would remember the incredible promise that God made to him. Every time we take the bread and the cup, we can remember the cross of Jesus and the incredible promise that God made to us. What is the promise? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but inherit eternal life. Here's another promise. For everyone who believes in his name, he will give the right to be called a child of God. Here's another promise. I have come that you may have life, and life in abundance. And we could continue with the incredible promises that God gives to us, his children. At this moment, I'd like to ask the communion team to please get ready to serve the emblems. And I want to encourage you that as you take communion today, will you take time to remember God's faithfulness to you? Maybe allow the Lord by His Spirit to remind you of some of the things that He has done for you in the past. Allow your hearts to become filled with that. And then also take a moment to really think about the cross of Jesus and what it means to you. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus, how he died, how his blood was shed, how he rose again, and that through the shedding of his blood, our sins could be forgiven. So friends, we serve a personal God, a God who loves to speak. We serve a God who loves to make promises and keep his promises and to bless us. And we serve a God who calls us to live a life of faith. Now, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, please feel free to participate with us today in communion. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, you are welcome just to let the emblems pass by. Please will you hold on to the bread and the cup so that we can all partake together when everyone has been served. In a moment, 